and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. In normal times, I write about baseball for The Athletic. Uh, As always, joined this week by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, how are you and your beautiful family in these strange times we live in, my friend? Yeah, we're, you know, we're taking it hour to hour and uh, as everybody else and uh, and actually my and I'm officially an online professor because I haven't been on campus for about a week now just sort of working with a lot of students to figure out the best way to continue the course and uh, given that we're talking about sport and society that's the course uh, we now are sort of weighing the impact now of where we are with sports at a halt uh, at least for the most part professionally certainly so uh, yeah, so as a family, you know, four kids, we're in, you know, in house together, just trying to find things to do, keep everybody occupied, and also just uh, you know be aware of what's happening so that we can be as prepared as we can. So, a very uncertain times, and I know everybody can relate to to all the anxiety of it, but at the same time, we're um, you know just trying to follow what protocols we can. So it's it's trying, but you know we're also. Uh, sticking together as best we can. It's uh, it's a tough time for everybody. Yeah, it's what we all have to do. Um, these are different times. So let's just say at the outset, this is going to be a very different edition of Starkville. It's not yeah. a week for trivia. It's not a week for stupid baseball bets. Uh, the lives of you, me, every one of us are so different now than they were just a week ago when we were doing over-unders and all of our usual stupid stuff that we do here. Um, Like, for one thing, it's the third week of March. I'm not in Florida. I'm not in Arizona. I'm not in spring training. That's a really odd sensation. Uh, Look, people like us, we're creatures of the baseball calendar, and now there is no baseball calendar. So uh, we're actually going to talk about that on this show, but... Let's start by doing something that feels more important to me now than ever. We, we're going to talk to each other. We need each other. We need all of you out there. Let's help each other through this by connecting in whatever way we can. So, I mean, Doug, you touched on this a little bit, but tell me how your life has changed in the last week. You know, What happened to those classes that you teach at the University of Connecticut? Take, take us inside the world of Doug Lanville right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, I think the one word that jumps at me is, is almost precipitous. It's, it's like the, the speed of information that we all confront, especially when you're in media and you understand how on top of news and events that's, that's part of your preparation. So taking in what's happening in our world while you're trying to navigate uh, where sports fits into it, 
where the balances to sort of uh, sift through what information is at the top of your list. You know, almost like when you're researching for for a game and you're trying to figure out what to what to say about Clayton Kershaw. There's certainly a whole lot of bullet points which you have to prioritize, and then in this case, implement. So if you look at University of Connecticut, I was, you know, my wife and I have been sort of thinking through all this information about what's happening and and should we, you know, sort of cordon ourselves off and what's the right time. As a professor, you're responsible for all these, you know, young students and their safety and their education, and you're trying to figure out what uh, what's the appropriate timing. So a little bit ahead of when the university closed, I decided to not have my Thursday class uh, right before what it was to be their spring break. And uh, it, and some of the students had mentioned it in other courses. So they, I just said, let me look into this. And the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to start shifting online. And now other universities had, had done that, but with the state school in yeah. Connecticut, there was a lot more to it. So, uh, so no question that that, was a big moment of just taking it online. And I think from there, you know, four kids in different schools, that sort of uh, something that we preempted before the schools closed, ultimately that Monday, uh, we, we shut it down. So all of a sudden, like you said, just thinking as how baseball and the sensitivity you have for, oh, it's spring, I'm supposed to be doing these things as a baseball person. It was also the time of year in school and, and your kids and how you engage in their activities. And as you said, how you interact with your fellow citizen, person, neighbor, family had, had completely shifted in what was seemed to be a very short period of time. And then to think about everybody else. My mom is 83 years old and and trying to talk to her about being careful and staying in. And, uh, it, you know, the conversation shifted so immediately and so necessarily. And everything sort of disappeared and became clearly, you know, second and secondary. So um, so we're dealing with this um, every day, every minute, just trying to strategize. And something that used to be simple, uh, whether it's groceries or, or things that you take for granted at different times, uh, you've had to have literally a strategy about. So in the spirit of sports, I you know, as you mentioned, teammates, I, I really appreciate what you said about that as friendships and teammates and relationships uh, become so critical as we have so much more distance. And, um, you know, and I, I can relate to that as your teammate and friend, but also just as we share this game to the to the world that we do every week, that we're bringing everybody together in this is we're going to need to be the, the best team we've ever been, uh, and certainly in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think podcasts can really serve a role now to help connect people. And maybe you and I can be of service. I hope so. And you touched on this too. There, there have been a lot of big moments over the last week for all of us as we had to decide when it was time to stop living our normal lives. Um, look, I was in Florida. I was in, I was covering spring training. I, I, frankly, I was wondering how much longer there would even be a spring training. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I was surrounded by kids on spring break. They didn't think anything was different. <laughs> they, they were just going about the spring break business, but I was watching things change before my eyes. Uh, spring training gets canceled. Uh, I'm in Florida. My wife had joined me in Florida. 
um, we we needed to get a feel for where this thing was going. We, you know, our, our house wasn't stocked up like everyone else's. Um, we, you know, we we drove eighteen hours back north, uh, and now we're holed up in the house. Uh, I've only left today for my big outing of the day, taking in the trash, and you know, I'm 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 just sitting here trying to cover baseball in a world with no baseball. And, you know, that that brings me to a question that I, I'm sure you're asked all day long, just like I am. When do we see baseball resuming, the season resuming? Hard question to answer. As I've asked that question to people inside the game, the best case scenario, probably the best, I think, is Memorial Day. But could it be June? Could be. Could it be July? Could be. Could there be no season at all? I think the percentage chance of that is has got to be more than zero. We, we don't know. Every one of those things is possible. Uh, I'm curious, Doug, you know, you're connected to the baseball world. What would your guess be? You know, I, I see it as so uncertain. <laughs> um you know, when you look at the timeline and then the concerns and, and also the fact that even Major League Baseball kind of had to push the date back, so to speak, like uh, the word indefinite always jumps off. You see that a lot, um, even though, for example, with U- University of Connecticut, we supposed to go back two weeks after the break somewhere in first, second week of April. But we know that's going to have to be revisited. And baseball is going to face that because there's so many if-then statements that you have to add. And it coincides with how we gel as a, as a world, but also within our country to, to have the right strategies in place and the timing to be able to uh, get that level of success scientifically and comfort that we're like, okay, we can, we can go out now. You know? And then will it be right away saying, oh, we're going to have 50,000 people, at, I don't know, you know, uh, at a game. Will it, will it sort of gradually increase? Uh, there's so many, <clears throat> so many questions. And, but I would not be sh- shocked if it, it goes very late into you know, August or something. I, you know, from a baseball standpoint, I hope not, but I, I recognize that we must prioritize everyone's safety. So, um, so we could miss significant events as, as from a baseball calendar and recognizing they're secondary. But you think about our world and what we do, you know, whether it's all-star games and, and what kind of season would it be? 50 games, 30 games? Is that a season? Can you play a 40-game season and, and call a world champion? And what's that going to look like? So it is so unprecedented that it's unprecedented in its unprecedentedness. Is that a word? <laughs> unprecedented? I don't know. But it, know. it's it is um, now. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, so it's it's a waiting game and it's a very hard waiting game given the stakes. It, it is. I mean, hey, the, uh, the the president said just this week that he doesn't see life returning to normal until July or August, and so. That's a problem if you're running a baseball season that normally ends in September. Uh, they recommended that people not assemble in groups larger than 10. Well, if I count the number of people on a baseball field, there are yeah. nine defenders. There's a batter. What happens if somebody gets on base? That Then you're already over 10. You have to pull like the, the right fielder off the field? How, how mean, would that work? Yeah. 
You know, there's some yeah. there's some big issues and big questions, and there's there's more questions than there are answers. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, well, my household is almost violation of that. You know, there's yeah. You know, say when you have a big family, I mean, that's that's how you know it's become to that granular of a level, and and it seems like you know the increments, right? You you kind of say, oh, well, May fifteenth, and you keep pushing it back, just like the conditions keep shrinking because of the circumstances. So I don't know where, where we're going to end up with this, you know? Like, does anybody? Um, let, let, let me ask you one more thing too, Doug. I wrote about this in The Athletic. Did baseball act quickly enough and decisively enough? You know, I told the story in the column I wrote that my very first day in Florida, the Grapefruit League, I, you know, I was sitting at lunch with a scout friend of mine he had his little jar of Purell sitting in front of him next to his plate. I had my pack of germ-killing wipes uh, sitting in front of my plate. And he was telling me how uh, his wife works in a hospital. They were already gearing up for the coronavirus. And he told me, Shh, this is according to her, that in two weeks, all hell was going to break loose. And yet, yeah. Doug, I'd go to these spring training games and every day I would look around the ballpark. I'd see fans cramming into their seats inches away from each other. I'd watch all these stadium employees come to work and start grilling their hot dogs and taking tickets and do all the stuff they do. Um, there was no way this could keep on being a normal spring or a normal season. So how long was normal still going to feel normal. And now I find myself wondering, how could the powers that be in our sport have been so slow to act, so slow to caution everyone involved that they just shouldn't let this appearance of business as usual seduce them into thinking that things were normal? I'm curious what you think, Doug. Was baseball too slow to act? Well, they certainly were, and you think of the context of what happened in the NBA. Uh, you know, there's a tendency, and, I, and I, it's very human to need the dramatic event at times, right? Something like very tangible and clear, and you don't want to overreact. And there's all that pressure. And you're, if you think in your own ecosystem, your sort of bubble of your business, or sort of the, you know, in this case, the baseball world, it's easy to sort of get wrapped into that. Um, you know, that sort of level, right? That strata, uh, that level where you were trying to consider what the impact will be within that. And, you know, fans and the game, and obviously a lot of people who love the game want to see it. And there's a lot of things at stake within your world. But then you start spitting out and it starts to lose its uh, effectiveness or validity when you start looking at what this means in a larger larger context uh, where people are, you know, lives, health, all these things start to come in place in a very heavy kind of way. And, you know, so it seemed like everybody was looking at each other in, in the various sports, all talking, what should we do? And and I don't want to be too early because, you know, if you're too early, all of a sudden, you know, you cancel something and then you didn't need to. And, and trying to sort through the information to fully depend on to say yes, this is this, and this is this is X, and this is Y, or this is black, and this is white. It just was not clear, and to err on the side of safety made a lot of sense. And clearly, when the NBA went through their 
experience with the the player. Uh, What's the name? Rudy Gobert. He. Um, yes. It was like it was an instantaneous, you know. And, and they were they were clearly, <clears throat> to me, that but they they needed that like okay, this is clear evidence. And until then, it seemed like a lot of the sports were going to kind of keep, you know, ghost walking. You know, like okay, we're going to keep going, and we know there's this ominous thing happening, but we we kind of have to keep going and be normal and just hope for the best and have contingency plans until something really big happens. And what it did, you know, it was, it was like dominoes. I understand the urge to maintain normalcy. Uh, who wouldn't want to maintain normalcy? And yet 15 hours after the NBA stopped its season, baseball was still playing spring training games with fans in the seats. Yeah. It, 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 the whole thing just seems so eerie at that point. Um, but I, I mentioned this early in the show. We're all such creatures of the baseball calendar. And now there is no calendar. Uh, so now that the games have stopped and there's no calendar, isn't it disorienting? Uh, you know, this is something that only happens at times when baseball gets superseded by real life. We're talking about stuff like 9-11, the World Series earthquake, which I covered, work stoppages, which I have covered. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those. Um, I have some, some vivid memories of those events. But, you know, really, Doug, I, I'm a member of the media. I'm, I'm a fan of baseball. You're different. You were a professional baseball player for, if I remember right, 14 seasons, right? Correct. Um, yes, and, and, and now... You're a storyteller. So I wonder, do you have a story that illustrates how disruptive it is when you're suddenly thrown into limbo? I, I know that I've heard you talk about 9-11. Uh, you were on the road, right? You're about to start a really important series, and then it didn't seem so important at all. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely a, a way that can put it into context from a, a player and family and then as I mentioned, you you spin it larger and larger, and you start to say, "Okay, this is way bigger than the game, sports." You know, so, there's so many things that started to come into focus very quickly. Sort of what we're experiencing now. Uh, in not in the case of 9/11, we were uh, I was with the Phillies. We were in Atlanta, and I'm not sure how far out we may have been one game out. And this is, as you know, the Braves swept through the 90s and the 2000, you know, winning the division every year. So the fact that we were this close under Larry Boa was was exciting. So big series and three games in Atlanta. We were supposed to go to Cincinnati after that. And then we were back home about a week later. Um, so we, you know, I remember waking up and I was one of the few players that loved to eat breakfast. Uh, so I would get up, a lot of players would sleep in to noon and have lunch. And I love breakfast. So I'd get up and make sure I beat the closing time everywhere in the country to make sure I got my breakfast on. And I knew these restaurants all through the city. So in Atlanta, I had to be somewhere by 10 o'clock in the morning to get my breakfast. So I get in the elevator and I think we're at the Omni Hotel or somewhere. And I see Kevin Jordan, you know, his, uh, his wife, Nina, who's from Australia, in the elevator. So I, hey, Nina, how you doing? And she says, she just says a couple of words, like they hit the towers. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, no, the, you know, the World Trade Center. And I, because I grew up in Jersey, I said, oh, again? 
because I remember when that was a, there was a first attempt at that. So she's like, no, like, yeah, I mean, yes, this is what's happening. So I, of course, got in front of a, a television set uh, and the, all the monitors. And we were in Atlanta, so it's CNN country, so they were everywhere. And, and you know, I grew up in Jersey driving on the turnpike, seeing that skyline all the time. And, of course, the rush of just, like, friends, family, like, it just didn't hit me and until it just sort of came over me of all the possibilities and all the tragedies and all the, the moments that just sort of collided in that second. And yeah. so, and, and as players, you know, it took a while to just piece together anything. Uh, it's And so I do, I understand why there's all this delayed reaction at different times because, or like you said, the normalcy or wanting to deny it or just feel like I'm going to live my life or whatever it is. Uh, it, it, you know, we, it took us a minute to figure out, okay, wait a minute. Okay. We're not playing tonight. Right. And I was the union rep. So you can imagine the conversations trying to figure out what was appropriate. And, you know, what's different, I guess, with 9-11 and now is like, Today we're facing, okay, you know, there's a health crisis and we're trying to navigate safety for everyone. And 9-11, we were in this sort of militarize, our, uh, is something else going to happen? And it, it's, it was, it's like the uncertainty of targets and groupings. You know, we saw mass gatherings, not in the context of spreading something, but as, as, as a danger in and of itself because of uh, being more of a target. And, uh, and so the word appropriateness came up a lot in that world because we were saying to ourselves, do we, is it right to try to play here? Because people have so many pressing needs for humanity to, to be prepared or, or to think about something else or find their loved ones, all these things that really shifted the conversation uh, very quickly and the priorities. So we, we didn't have a good answer to that. And we, Bud Selig, and we were talking, and we ended up canceling that series. And I remember going from the hotel as the rep and calling then uh, David Montgomery about should we, like the Players Association was saying, we shouldn't even go to the next city because uh, we haven't defined it yet. And so there was a little bit of a challenge of figuring out the logistics. So we ended up getting on the bus to Cincinnati. We get to Tennessee and I'm, I'm not sure the travel time. Let's say it's 10 hours. I'm guessing a little bit, but it was it was far. And we get to Tennessee at a rest stop. And I guess someone had heard in the, I don't know if it was, I, I'm trying to figure out what the source was because we didn't really have phones to the degree we had today. But someone found out there was a radio show or some contact where um, our manager, Larry Bow was talking about the potential of going back to Atlanta because of a big series. And a lot of players were concerned because they they assumed this was going to go on and on and cancel game. So everybody was talking about going back to Philadelphia. So as the rep, I had to get a collective gathering of people to figure out well what are we what are we doing? Are we continuing on to Cincinnati? And then it found out that I think somewhere on that trip they canceled that series. So there didn't seem to be a point there. So everybody said let's take a vote. And we voted in the vast majority. I mean, it was something like 37 to 2. We're like, let's go to Philadelphia. And where most of everybody's family was. Uh, and, the, and the two people that were talking about going back, one was Dennis Cook, because he actually lived in Atlanta. And, and our manager, Larry Bo, who was talking about who, uh, the series and hadn't sort of uh, you know, gotten the context and caught up with all the sort of different machinations and iterations of a conversation about oh, the series is canceled, and oh, we don't need to go to Cincinnati. And 
you know, we don't need to necessarily go back to Atlanta either because, you know, we're trying to figure out where everybody was. So it was a, you know, it wasn't a unified front. And of course, you know, Larry Boa was totally on board once we sort of talked about it. And yeah, so it, it was remarkable in that time, like trying to figure out what was appropriate and then going, we went, ended up, oh, so we tried to go to Philly and the, the trip was too far because the bus driver could not travel that distance. We had, you know, five hours, let's say, to Cincinnati, but we had, you know, Cincinnati, uh, Philly was 10 or whatever. So they couldn't get a driver to us to swap him out so that he could rest. So we just ended up in Cincinnati too. And that's when we took the time to, to just talk to each other and figure out what was going on. So, you know, there was, there was no clarity uh, and there was no math to say, like in baseball, to say, this is the right date to start, or this is the right moment to start. It, it, you know, we just hope that we could be part of the healing once we did start. And it, and baseball did serve a role in that, which was something very rewarding more than any home run or World Series or Grand Slam that could have ever produced. And that's the optimism that um, that I have today about where sports can fit once we sort of uh, transition uh, in an attempt to get back to normal or what I would say is going to be a new normal. Uh, but that's going to take a lot of time. It is. You know, for that that first week or so after 9-11, I think I had less interest in baseball than I have ever had in my life. You know, I was concerned about our country and concerned about so many people who had lost loved ones and all, you know, all the people around us who were so frightened by what was to come. Um, and yet, you know, what we do in my business is we continue to work. Uh, there were stories to be written about. There were stories to be told. So, uh, of course, I told those stories, but it was, it was such a tragic and powerful and emotional time. I honestly didn't know when it would feel right again to go back to the ballpark. And then when that the season finally resumed, it was uh it was a reminder of what a healing force that sports can be, uh, that you know what baseball can be in our lives. Uh the, I mean those like those games that night, I'll never forget the the tears running down the faces of people you never thought you would ever see cry in a baseball field and those uh those tears told us that sports is meaningful it's not so meaningful that you should play them at a time like this but it but it is a reminder that that meaning is it, it is a reminder that we're all going to be grateful at some point in time that sports can help us regain our focus and our footing and our stability in our lives. Uh, I look forward to that day. Um, Doug, I, I also wanted to talk about strikes and lockouts because it's been brought up a lot in this context. Uh, I covered two long baseball work stoppages one was in 1981 in my early days of covering baseball. The other, uh, 1994, 95. Uh, you know, the first one took a big chunk, two-month chunk out of the middle of the season. So in some respects, that felt kind of similar to this. You know, we had a story of a season that was already being written. We knew it would resume at some point. It was just hard to know when. 
But in 1994, we had season canceled, World Series canceled. Then the next spring, we had we had fake players, we had replacement players that showed up in spring training and wore the uniforms. Then that ended. Then we had a real spring training for real players. Then the season started late. We had a 144 game abbreviated season. Some of that, I think, is similar to what we see this year, or who knows, it might not be. But there were a couple things I think I learned from covering those work stoppages. One is that it was a love of baseball that got us into this line of work. But sometimes, you know, you're you're going along covering baseball and something else happens. And there's no baseball. So we need to cover that. We need to write about that. Uh, we need to learn about that. Covering those work stoppages, it was crazy to me. The people I wound up talking to, lawyers and judges and professors, uh, people who work for the NLRB. And it's a reminder that we can do that. We have to do that. We have to tell the stories uh, that have taken the place of the stories that we'd all rather be telling. But the other lesson I learned is what we just talked about. Sports matters. The one story throughout all of that that people felt most passionate about was, so when's this going to be over? When are they going to play again? Um and Doug, if I remember right, you were supposed to be in big league spring training in 1995. So even though you were a minor leaguer, you got caught up in that strike and you weren't even a big leaguer. So what was that like? Yeah, that, that was tough. I mean, I, w- I was working out, um, you know, quite a bit. My brother in the off season, uh, we'd often go to Tampa and... Uh, and you know the the trick for me was that you know I was I had never as you mentioned I had never had any major league service time at the at the moment. Now sure it was a possibility I could have made the team, but once that the writing was on the wall about the depth of the strike, I started to realize that there's no way when when we finally resume spring training they're going to spend they're going to give me like eighty at bats. You know they're not you know they're not <laughs> um, they had they had to make a decision preemptively to get the, the right people ready and give them the most uh, exposure. And so it wasn't really much of a competition to say, you know, who's the 25th man on the roster. They kind of had to pre-decide that to a certain degree so that they can get the reps and get everybody on the same page. And then, you know, so I, w- I knew I was destined to go back to the minor leagues, but I also didn't have the advantage of be- getting a lot of game time and, and playing in games. You know, there's it's a 40-man roster and, once they're 25 guys or plus are playing in any given game, you know, it's not like you could have a side game with the other half of the team that easily when you're trying to get all these people ready at once. So I often, you know, just worked out and in the cage and tried to get ready. I don't know what what was the length of that camp. It was like eight days. It was something really. No, it was three. It was, it was three weeks. It was, okay, I was but just it, went sure. it went fast. It went fast. Yeah, it was just it was, a couple uh, of weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, nobody been nobody been doing anything, and then their season was going to start in three weeks. Was, right, and we didn't jump. Really I, if I right, and if I recall right, we didn't jump right into games. Right, we had to like train a little bit, and then yes. so you know the the game schedule was short. It was like you know ten whatever it was. It was tiny, and that made it very hard to prepare. Now I had a, I had like a positive moment because the one of the starts. I had some unbelievable game. It was like four for four with six RBI. It was just like <laughs> I only had I only had eight at bats. Okay, eight at bats that spring, 
And I just had this monumental game, and it was surreal because you know I don't know I didn't I don't think I hit a home run. I just hit like a, a base clearing triple and something, a couple of RBIs, three RBIs after that. So that was all I had. That was my moment, and I I did well with it. But I knew I was going back to the minor leagues. And what's tough is, you know, I was learning a lot about the uni. I was always interested in it, so I knew a lot before. But the solidarity, the challenge of figuring out the guys that are like myself just want to play and and the questions minor leagues guys that are going to the minors are fairly raising like well it's not really fair that I sit out I don't have a spring training and then I'm going to go to triple a or double a and go where guys have been playing not only did they have a full spring training but they're in mid-season form it's like May 15th or whatever so I'm trying to figure out how to compete against guys uh, that are are ready, and I'm still like getting my arm loose, you know. Now, yeah, of course, I trained on my own, but there's nothing like being in a game scenario. Uh, that was that was the one time that playing in winter ball, things like that, would have been a huge advantage. I think I, I think I was in the fall league that that year before. So, um, so yeah, it was it was difficult, and I was behind. I got there, I was somewhat behind, and I had one of the t- the manager that probably the only manager that I had a complete blood and water relationship, oil and water, just like totally didn't get along at all. And it was it was kind of a nightmare to try to get back in that type of circumstance. So, uh, but the, the strike, you know, obviously we see that as sort of imposed by labor dispute. You know, that was the stoppage. You know, we, we didn't have this sort of um, existential questions. We didn't have the the, the safety and danger questions we, we face today. But this was, you know, interrupted the season and took a lot to figure out how we were going to move forward from the union and and the games and whether you have a split season and all these things so um but yeah and i and but i did have a decent year uh and i ended up going to puerto rico for winter ball to get more experience and that ended up being a complete change of my career direction for the better how about that Uh, you know it is fascinating for the reasons that you just mentioned uh, how often this situation gets compared to that one. And, I, I, you know, the reason is if there's not going to be baseball for six, eight weeks at the minimum, there's going to have to be a spring training 2.0 at some point that'll be a, just another rushed version of what you just described. And yet I find myself reflecting on the differences between being in limbo now when this is an attempt to save lives. And then when it was just a labor dispute, um, you know, that labor dispute felt pretty important then. But compared to this, look, the, the difference is baseball people had control of when those work stoppages ended. Um, although it's kind of ironic that that one ended with a court order. <laughs> but it, Baseball people had some control over it. That's not necessarily going to be the case with this. So more than anything, we just want our family, our friends, the people we care about, the people of America to be well and to be safe. Um, but someday there is, there's going to be baseball again. Be cool if we had James Earl Jones as a guest this week, just so he could he, we could hear him say, that when baseball returns, it'll be a reminder, Doug, of all that once was good and could be again. Uh, to, that was really a crummy James Earl Jones impression, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's a way of saying that we both look forward 
to that day. Uh, I don't know when that day is going to come, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to do Starkville. Um, we will be back next week. And, you know, I think we should talk about how to fill that void that baseball leaves in our lives when it's not there. And I think gradually we're going to get back to the fun and the laughs that are the hallmark of this podcast. But in the meantime, here's a reminder. We are now available absolutely free everywhere that you get your podcasts. So do us a favor. Subscribe to Starkville at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere that podcasts are sold. And, of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. If you enjoy this podcast, there's probably some team in the big leagues that you root for. If, if you do, uh, the Athletic can help with that because we've got 16 local baseball podcasts with the best baseball writers of the business, broadcasters, former players, and it's all available free at all those places I just mentioned. If you want to check out our network of baseball podcasts and save 40% in a one-year subscription, you can go to theathletic.com slash Starkville with an E. Um, in between podcasts, remember to read us on the Athletic website, on the Athletic app. And once we get back to fun and trivia, then you too can once again be part of the podcast. You would just have to submit a trivia question Uh uh, the mayor of Starkville, evil mayor Cam, will look at your question and say, uh, they'll never get this one right. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, so if you want to send in those trivia questions, we're still taking them. You can email them to Starkville with an E in the end at theathletic.com, or you can tweet them at us. Uh, I am at Jason with a YST, and Doug Glanville can be found at at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Right. And just remember to hashtag those questions with the hashtag StarkvilleQS. That's Starkville with an E-Q-S. So Doug, thanks for all your great reflections on a really strange week and a really important time for all of us. And thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville.